You know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we assign our guests a year and they choose one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year for us to talk about. It took me too many tries to start this intro. Uh, and you did all of that, and we're not even doing that this week. What are we doing this week? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We are not doing standard episode. We are doing a patron-sponsored episode. So it's it's not too far off. It sounded like, what's his name? Style Lanley? Or Lyle Stanley? Style Lan- Lyle Stanley, the, the monorail salesman? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. My good man? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're doing a patron-sponsored episode, so this episode is bring, being brought to us by Dave Brown of One Band Five Songs and Oklahoma Lefty. He uh, sponsored this episode using the $10 range, where uh, if you give us $10, you can pick the album for us to talk about. It's a deal. It is a deal. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Depends on if you think paying us to talk about a record is worth money. Yeah. As far as patron-sponsored content goes, that's a pretty good deal. Buying an episode of a podcast. Yeah. And making everyone listen to it. (laughs) Uh, And you can do that if you go over to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash punklottopod. I don't think we're selling the the power uh, enough. I think that will hopefully drive more people to uh, sign up. Yeah. Uh, Think of your ego. (laughs) Telling us what to do. (laughs) so we're actually going to do like a month of patron sponsored episodes um due to scheduling uh we we we've wanted to have on a couple of our the patrons who selected the records to come on the show and talk about it that's an option too if you want to come on a podcast and talk about a record that you want to talk about so it took us a while to get them all lined up in a way that we could actually do them so so we're going to start things off with the one without a guest yes this is uh yeah we're calling it i'm Jokingly calling it the Patreon Pledge Drive mm-hmm. month. I think we have, what, do we have like three or four? We have four in a row lined up. So yeah. kind of today's episode, there's four in a row. The next three will all have them on the show, though. So we got some fun records to talk about coming up, too. Some interesting choices. Also, though, if you don't want to spend $10, if you just give us $1 a month, you get access to all of our weekly bonus audio, which this week includes a starting five where Dylan and I choose five records to talk about. And uh, instead of a year, we're spelling out the word Jello. So we're, we're playing horse. We're using the first letter of an album's title to correspond with a letter in Jello. You can head over to the Patreon to get that. Also, my weekly new release Fridays, where I do a five to ten minute audio recording of me talking about the new stuff that came out that week. We have voicemails, 202-688-PUNK. No voicemails this week. But you could send us one and we'll play it on the show if you'd like. And then we have all the social medias at Punk Lotto Pod. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, punklottopod.substack.com. 
And yeah, I think that and punklotopod at gmail.com. Those are all the ways to follow us and get in touch with us. So, well, normally how we do these is I just have you tell us what we're talking about today. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about Prairie Home Invasion, the Jello, Biafra, and Mojo Nixon collab uh, from 94. Yeah, if you're paying attention, we're doing back-to-back Jello Biafra. Last week, we talked about Bedtime for Democracy, the Dead Kennedys record. And uh, it'll be interesting to kind of compare and contrast the Jellos. Before we get into the actual record, though, we like to take a little dive on the charts to see what else came out the same year as our record we're talking about. So this came out in 1994. So what came out that year? I pulled I pulled the Twitter audience there. Uh, I like doing this every week, and we're getting like a lot of people's like favorite picks from the year. Uh, one that I saw mentioned a couple times. Uh, 24-Hour Revenge Therapy by Jawbreaker was released in 1994. Yep. Talked about that on the Patreon not too long ago. Uh, released the same month as For Your Own Special Sweetheart uh, by Jawbox. Uh, get this. Also the same month as Dookie. <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't realize Hi, it was Day. the same month. Just three big old punk records, which this is, this is pre- major label for jawbreaker but they were they would soon be on a major label so uh diary by sunny day real estate came out uh not long after in may so that's the first uh sunny day record uh a sub pop record so some some big stuff yeah some really big stuff yank crime by drive like jehu was also released that year like all these huge records for punk music smash (laughs) by the offspring (laughs) Our touching touchstone of, of punk. Uh, it's got self-esteem, and uh, is that the only big single on that one? Come no, out and play. there's a couple. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah, there's more. Than- Come out and play. Smash <laughs> Smash is actually a really fun record. I don't. I think I'm an Offspring apologist. Uh, <laughs> there's they have a lot of good songs. I'm trying to think what else is on here. Come out and play. Self-esteem. So alone. No, I don't know. I bet there's more on there that I'm not thinking of currently. But I remember listening to that record and being like, wow, he swears a lot in one song. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta Get Away is on here, too. That's another one. Yeah. Bad Religion released Stranger Than Fiction. A couple other records that people brought up on the 90, on Twitter. Uh, Super Unknown by Soundgarden was brought up a couple times. I just listened to that not too long ago and talked about that record on the Patreon as well. But, like, big record for sound, very important record for Soundgarden. I think uh, the one after probably has more hits off of it, though. Naturally, Weezer's Blue Album came out that year. Dylan, you're a known Weezer <laughs> hater. <laughs> uh, what's on Blue? Blue's the first one, right? Blue's the good, the best one. Blue's the half good one. <laughs> yeah. Blue's an all good one. Mm, I I don't know that I can I could say that. I will take My Name Is Jonas, uh, Buddy Holly, Surf Wax America. I guess I'll take Say It Ain't So. <laughs> you don't like Undone, the sweater song? Not really. <laughs> I've been chipping away through the five-hour uh, Bandsplain episode on Weezer, where they go through their entire discography. I still have an hour left, and part of me was like, there's something about Weezer that's always fascinated me to the point where I want to do a deep dive on the discography, but I really, every time I've... Th- listen to a record like a later record especially 
I've been like, God, it's just not good. <laughs> it's bad. So bad. <laughs> I think I listened to Maladroit not too uh. long ago, and I was like, this is not good. But like, Weezer have this like weird skill at releasing like or at putting like one or two really good songs on every record. So like even their bad records still have one or two really good songs on them. So you'll hear that and you'll go, maybe they're better than I remember. And then you go listen and you go, no, they're not. <laughs> but it, listening to this five hour deep dive on their discography, I have decided, no, I don't really like Weezer. I don't think I can like Weezer. I like the Blue Album and that's it. I don't even like Pinkerton like everybody else does, but no. Um, nope. What are their selections that our guests point out? And Lepore sent us a bunch of selections. Uh, really fun stuff. Most notably, Groovy Ghoulies, Born in the Basement. Uh, the Jesus and Mary Chain, Stone and Dethroned. That's my favorite Jesus and Mary Chain record. That's a weird choice. The Cramps released Flame Job. The Fall released Middle Class Revolt. And Oasis released Definitely Maybe. That's another band you, you can't stand, right? I am not a fan, no. <laughs> Now, I did listen to a podcast about Oasis's entire output, and I could be a fan of Oasis. So, that's the that's the, the test. Uh, our good buddy Josh over Spinning Out says the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> I meant to look that up. I saw that. And I want to pull that up. I want to see what's on the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack for me to uh, decide whether or not I agree with that. Though, 90s movie soundtracks kind of ruled... Okay, the original soundtrack includes Crash Test Dummies, uh, Dead Eye Dick, Echo Belly, Pete Drogue, The Primitives, Ooh. Willie One Blood, What Primitives? Bigelow Ants, uh, w- Crash, the 95 Yeah, mix. Crash yeah. Rules. Uh, they got Hurdy Gurdy Man by Butthole Surfers on here. Um, <laughs> this, is not a, this is not actually a very good soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Delight doing you sexy thing. Yeah. The bear song by Green Jelly. (laughs) Uh, And Get Ready by The Proclaimers. You know, it's funny. I'd never watched Dumb and Dumber until I was in my, like, late 20s. So I did not grow up with this movie. And the one takeaway from that movie was, okay, yeah, I get it. I get why people liked this as much as they did in the 90s. And it became kind of this thing that they stuck with them uh, their whole lives. At, seeing it as an adult for the first time, it doesn't really resonate the same way. But no, that, is, it, that is where I heard the Primitives crash for the first time. So that it's worth it for me just to have gotten that song out of the- <laughs> Yeah, there, there's funny moments, but overall it's not. You didn't watch it at the right age. It's never going to do anything for you. I remember watching like the first third of the movie at our friend's house one time and then like i had to leave <laughs> i didn't get to watch the rest of it also a couple other 94 records sam i am's clumsy came out that year love clumsy clumsy's so good our our friend who has been calling us recently um is calling specifically because we talked trash about the 1994 madball record set it off <laughs> yeah that was not, that's funny. Nobody in our '94 lists, like in our email, in our uh, Twitter, have mentioned that record though. It's very funny. That makes sense. Yeah, for our, our followers. <laughs> uh, Avail released Dixie. That's a fun record, though. Probably wouldn't call a record Dixie now, but uh, and Leatherface released The Last, which I think just became available on Spotify. Yeah, I think those are all some pretty big, important records worth talking about there. 
Okay, so before we get into the record that we are talking about today, our good friend Dave and patron who sponsored this episode sent us a little audio explaining why he selected this record for us to talk about. So let's hear it from Dave. Hey, what's up, posers? So uh, this is Dave Brown jumping in on this Patreon uh, pod that I ask you guys to do. So I'm sure you're wondering why in the world would I ask you all to do a Jello Biafra Mojo Nixon record? Well, a couple reasons. Uh, one, I wanted to have you do something that is not one of my favorite albums of all time because I thought it could have a, a good conversation. I thought you guys could really you know, dig into this, especially Dylan. I know you, you were down with a lot of country music and this is definitely a country album. And in fact, I know Jello Biafra had said in an interview, he had never been able to write a country song until he did this album with Mojo Nixon. Um, but this album is also freaking awesome. Uh, Mojo Nixon just rules. I, I first heard of Mojo Nixon thanks to a friend of mine from high school uh, named Jason. And Jason also introduced me to this album. He was a friend of both of myself and Emily, my wife. And I just remember hearing this for the first time. And the thing, the thing about this record, it is very much of 1994 when it came out. As with a lot of Jello Biafra stuff. It is super of its time. Uh, I think this record benefits from the fact that it's not as overtly political as pretty much everything else that Jello Biafra has ever done. But there's definitely a song like uh, "By uh, By My Snake Oil," which is so very early to mid '90s. It kind of hurts. There's uh, essentially a Henry Rollins reference in it. It's it it's hilarious. And one thing I, I didn't even realize until doing a little bit of research on this is how much of this record is actually covers. But that's okay because it's it's so good. Uh, Where are we gonna work when the trees are gone? Is is such a uh, just banger of a song. I mean, are you drink with me? Jesus is just amazing. It. I really like the Mojo Nixon songs on here. That one and oh, what was the other one? Uh, Let's go burn old Nashville down. I think is tremendous. Um, there is, let's see, love me. I'm a liberal. I think is hilarious and pretty spot on, especially for nineties liberals. There's some stuff on here that I don't like. Um, the song mascot mania though, I will say I do like, but it is definitely a song you could not record now, even though the point still stands, I think, in so many ways. The one song that's on this record that kind of bugs me, but I still musically adore is Will the Fetus Be Aborted? Now, obviously, it's kind of a gross topic, and you never want to get into the A topic. The A, the a topic is just... It's toxic, no matter which way you you try to discuss it. But what I love about the song is the music. And if this would just been a cover of Will the Circle Be Unbroken, it would have been incredible. The way the piano hits, it's just, this, this thing slaps and they play it so hard. I just, I love it. So I was... Recently, you know, thinking about this record, listened to it, and I was like, hey, I wonder what Justin and Dylan would think. And there you go. Hence the 
Patreon pick for Prairie Home Invasion by Mojo Nixon and Jello Biafra. So what do you think, guys? As always, love the show. Be safe out there. It's uh, snowing where I am right now. So take care. All right. Thank you, Dave, for giving yeah. a little bit of mo- behind the scenes on why you've selected this album. So, yeah, we are talking about Prairie Home Invasion by Jello Biafra and Mojo Nixon. So released March 24th, 1994 on Alternative Tentacles. Was this one of your records, Dylan? <laughs> Weirdly, I don't think this one showed up. I don't think I put it on my list. I don't know how I missed it. Uh, well, we are it's coming really up. It's really funny that I'm I'm doing it in the, pro- the proper month. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, we're coming up on the 28th anniversary of this album this month. So very funny timing on this one. And the person on this record is Jello Biafra on vocals. Did we ever figure out if it's a Biafra or Biafra? Because I've heard both. I don't... It's Biafra. Yeah. Biafra is the British way of saying it. Uh, oh, yeah. I think. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, Mojo Nixon on banjo, harmonica, tambourine, vocals, and guitar. And the record also features a billion collaborators. Like, so Mojo Nixon had his band, which is Mojo Nixon and the Toad Lickers. Uh, I believe this record features a majority of that band the toad lickers on there there are a lot of people on here like like playing like every instrument you could in country music so um i did pick out a couple of the notable names though notable because of who they worked with so i'll I'll go through those people uh danny barnes plays dobro and guitar on this record and he has appeared on albums by robert rokeen dave matthews band bill frissel and herbie hancock Ted Roddy plays harmonica on this record, who has played on Dave Alvin of the Flesh Eaters and the Blasters solo records. Champ Hood played fiddle on here, and he has played with Lyle Lovett. Marty Muse plays pedal steel guitar, and he has played with Dwight Yoakam, Robert O'Keen, and Reckless Kelly. Uh, Evan Johns plays guitar on here, who has also played with Nico Case. And Pete Gordon plays keys, organ, accordion, and he has played with Mojo Nixon the majority of the time, as well as on a Dead Milkman record. And the record also features Amy Boone on backing vocals, on specifically Will the Fetus Be Aborted. Uh, she is the lead singer of The Delines. Hmm. And uh, her, her sister's on here as well in backing vocals, Deborah Kelly. And she has provided vocals on a couple Richmond Fontaine records, which The Delines feature like three members of Richmond Fontaine. So it's a fun little like Richmond Fontaine Delines connection on this record but lots of lots of other people on here playing just about every instrument you could 
uh, and it's produced by Marshall Lawless, who has worked on every post Dead Kennedys Jello record, which makes me think it's just Jello, and uh, Tri State Kill Spree Johnson, who has no other credits, and I assume that's just Mojo Nixon. <laughs> okay, so let's do the usual. What is your experience with Jello Biafra and Mojo Nixon prior to this episode? Oh, man. I guess mo- most of my thoughts are uh, discussed uh, in terms of the Dead Kennedys and their importance to me on the episode we did last week. Uh, so if you want to hear that, go listen to that episode because we spend a good chunk of time talking about kind of what the Dead Kennedys mean. Um, so I'll spend, I'll say more about my impression of Jello Biafra's post-Dead Kennedys career. Um, I think that a lot of his records the collaborations that he's done with assorted bands and what i've heard of them have a lot to do with why i have lost some interest in the dead kennedys and i mean there's like only so much only so many dead kennedys records and just overplay is bound to happen but i've heard different things from different periods of his career over the last 30 years 30 plus years of collaborations uh, as a solo artist um, that have not really compelled me to really spend much time with his solo records. Um, I'm aware of pretty much all of them. Like I could probably rattle off almost all of the artists that he's worked with, but they're also artists that I'm not interested in very much on their own either. So there's not even like that side of it to kind of pull me into checking out most of those records. But I think that my impression of Jello Biafra as as a person, as an artist, uh, and definitely as like a politically outspoken figure in punk has grown more positive in the last few years and kind of coming to like the realization, something that we kind of talked about on the, the last episode of being like, he, as outlandish as he seemed, he's been more right than wrong, um, which has been something that I've kind of a conclusion I've been coming to. And I think that that's supported by a lot of this record. Um, Mojo Nixon, I really don't know much about, which he's a North Carolina psychobilly country artist. He has a radio show on Willie Nelson's serious radio station, I think. Uh, but other than that, I'm really, I have never listened to a Mojo Nixon record. I really have no strong opinions on him. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, the, yeah. I'll start with Mojo Nixon. Yeah, same. I don't really have any, like, experience with any of his other records. Like, I've never really listened to anything else he's ever done. Um, I'd be curious to check out some of that stuff, but I also think a lot of it's... A lot of it was released on the Enigma Records catalog, and that catalog is one of those lost catalogs. Like, a lot of bands, their stuff's just not available for people to get a hold of anymore. Um, So I don't really know where to go with his stuff. He did a lot of records with someone called Skid Roper. I think he had like a lot of he was on MTV a bunch in the 80s, but also got in trouble for some of the stuff he did. They did a lot of parodies or like songs about pop stars. And then they wouldn't like play some of his songs because like, no, we can't make fun of that artist. And so he got mad and quit working with MTV a lot, which is just funny, because if 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 what I can tell from his personality is why was he on MTV in the first place? (laughs) It was. Yeah. It's MTV. It was MTV being like, let's get these weirdos and then being mad that they're weird. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it was. 
yeah, so I was thinking back on like my first experience with this record in particular, and I remember I remember listening to this album in college, and I, I remember being very entertained by the idea of Jello Biafra is doing country music, <laughs> and then like couldn't really get past the idea of it being a novelty, so like it never entered a regular rotation. It'd be one of those things where I was just like, hey, have you heard this? To like other people who are familiar with the Dead Kennedys. It just became like a, look at this, sideshow almost for me. I was like, yep, they're doing Dead Kennedys basically with country music. And uh, so like, yeah. And plus I also was in a college, a Christian college where songs like, will the fetus be aborted? Be kind, uh, be kind of a touchy subject. <laughs> Raise some eyebrows. I do remember being a handful of uh, being one of like the few, you know, pro-abortion students on campus and uh, getting into some, I don't think I got into too many heated arguments with anybody, but like there being arguments about it around. And I just, I I just, yeah, you just didn't really bring it up that much. I know I'm not going to change your mind and I know you're not going to change my mind. Yeah. So let's not talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. There, I do remember I took a class though where like the te- it was just a New Testament class, but for some reason the teacher also was like, and the second half of all of our classes are on these hot button issues, <laughs> and it was, this is two thousand five, two thousand six, so like this is where uh, culture wars are really taking off. Um, and I remember being in that class, and it was like me and this one other like adult student who lived off campus. Um, I don't know how old he was. If I had to guess, probably late 30s, maybe. He's one of those guys that, like, had a job and, like, maybe a family. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know that I don't know that guy's deal. Now that I think about it, I wonder what that... I never had him in any other classes or ever saw him outside of that class. He must have been getting a requirement out of the way. But uh, I remember it was me and that guy basically against, like, the rest of the class on whatever hot topic issue we were discussing that day. And I was always just like, oh, this is so exhausting arguing with you people and like we at times would i would have to like at the end of the class then the teacher would kind of like lay out his take on things and then the teacher was almost always on whatever side i was on and i just remember after like a couple of those classes being like in the middle of the discussion just looking at him being like come on man help me out here i know you're gonna be on my side at the end of all this just help me get some points across yeah Please, just, like, shut down the circular logic, at least. <laughs> referee. I do remember the person that I re- argued a lot with in that class wound up being, like, an atheist, like, super <laughs> liberal later. So, college does things to people. But uh, back to Jello. Yeah, yeah. I, this is one of his, like, many collaborative albums that he's done. You know, he did records with the Melvins and No Means No and DOA. And he's got the Lard with uh, Al Jorgensen Ministry, and plus his stuff, the Guantanamo School of Medicine, is like the current project that he's working on, which they've released like four things, so I didn't realize they'd been as active as they were. This, I remember this being kind of like the most well-known and the most discussed thing in the post-Dead Kennedy's Jello catalog, outside of like his spoken word stuff. That's probably the most, what he's most known for. Um, I don't know, if, did I ever listen to any... I may have tried to listen to one, but it was like I was I didn't know what anything he was talking about. Maybe I was expecting more of a Henry Rollins like funny stories type thing, and instead it's just 
him arguing the points of like green party stances against like small representatives from like states and like people i've never heard of like it's very (laughs) very he would have had a would have had a great podcast (laughs) if that was a thing back then it's weird that he doesn't have a podcast now actually yeah it is surprising he may he's also a little bit older now so he's probably just like "Ah." because i don't know does he still do like the spoken thing when was the last spoken word record there's um doesn't six the alternative tentacles bat cast is he on it um i'm not sure yeah i don't know i could see him also have like worn that part of himself out because <laughs> he's been that guy since the 80s no it's just yeah that podcast is just people playing stuff from their discography mm. yeah so jello kind of oh, actually jello shows up latest episode what would jello do jello looks at the recent trucker protests Oh, so he is still doing it. Maybe he's only yeah. recently started doing it. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what he has to say about more modern subjects. Because really, my frame of reference for Jello Biafra is like Reagan era politics, 90s, like PMRC, you know, like all that kind of stuff, censorship arguments, and then like post 9-11 politics. Like, I'm really not even familiar with what he's talked about since then. Revisiting this record, how did it hold up for you? I don't know that I've ever listened to this one. Oh. I've probably heard songs from it, but I don't think I've ever really listened to this one um, overall. Um, it's too long. <laughs> that's that's the first big thing I'll say. Um, it's interesting. I don't know that it, ultimately for me, I don't know that it ever gets past kind of what you described as the sideshow uh element of it maybe it's just because there's too many covers and then too many send-ups it really lacks on original material and then what original material is there is like by my snake oil which is i think a song that could have been better if it weren't nine minutes long uh it's just so long (laughs) (laughs) for it to be the same thing for the entire thing it's it was really hard for me to ever latch onto what he was saying in any of the verses. There were funny lines that would pop through, but I don't know that I ever really fully gleaned what it was actually about. Um, probably actually sit and look at the lyrics. And then there's Burgers of Wrath, which I don't know that that song even... I don't even know what, what song that is, uh, just looking at the track listing. Um, Nostalgia for an Age That Never Existed. That one, that's, that's a standout. That's the original tracks um and mascot mania i liked the tune but uh, i don't know is talking about sports teams i don't know <laughs> i mean oddly relevant 
now though, I mean, I guess you could very easily update that song and talk about talk about uh, racist mascots. There is a line about some racist mascots in there, uh, but it's also more in a. This is a record you probably should have read the lyrics on. <laughs> well, a lot of I mean, a lot of the lyrics really did. I did get catch, you know, like what he was saying. Uh, Snake Oil being like the only one where I'm like, what was that actually about? That one's about a lot of stuff. We'll start with let's start with Mascot Mania though. Um, it's funny we're even doing this before we even get to my take on it. But uh, while we're on the subject, so that one it is. Yeah, it's just talking about like fans from out of town. You could tell fans from <laughs> they were out of town because of the clown suits they had on. You know, twenty thousand red cowboy hats means corn huskers. Mickey Mouse beans with tiger ears shows you cheer old Missoula. Like it's a lot of just like talking about the mascots and the logos. And I think he's just like. Uh, Jello strikes me as someone who doesn't like sports, um, is the main thing, but yeah, it's very, yeah, it's mostly more, it's more about sports culture. Yeah. But it goes down. And then at, at one point in the song, he, he takes a tipper gore stab, blue streak, horn frogs, longhorns, Trojans. Someone better tell tipper gore about the names of these here teams, tar heels, gamecocks, blue devils, crimson tide, real Indians, sick of redskins and a tomahawk chops. It seems to me that to stay mean, these names should change with time. So that's the kind of like him referring to, oh, to stay mean, you know. Yeah. You know, those were meant to be. I wonder if that line specifically, real Indians sick of redskins and tomahawk chops. I wonder if he's referring to native people being sick of that name and the tomahawk chops. That's yeah. probably what, it's just such a short little thing that it's probably yeah. specifically what he's referencing. But like in '94, it's kind of interesting that he was tapped into that discourse. I mean, that makes sense. '90s '90s liberal politics were heavy on um, political correctness, so yeah. But then, like the song goes on to say things like these uh, these names should change with time. So it should be the New York Muggers, Detroit Murders, Chicago Mob, like basically like that kind of. And he just yeah. goes down a huge long list: Miami drugs, New Jersey dumps, take on the Denver smog. <laughs> like, <laughs> my favorite, my favorite line in this song, uh, it's early on, and he's talking about across the street in San Francisco when a chump comes out of a bar yelling "40 fucking Niners, man!" <laughs> with his golden red jacket on. I really like the way he delivers that line. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess I see what Dave was saying. Like he probably couldn't do this song this way now. I don't know. There's a. I I think if you wrote if you wrote it now, he would approach it in the like the racist names approach, and probably I'd be curious to see what he you know the he probably would have had some comments about kneeling. You know, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I would see. I would say him. I could see him working in something about the uh, the shut up and play. Yeah. Uh, conservative attitude. Yeah, I think if he were to write a new song about sports, it would not even be about the mascots anymore. Like, it would be about a completely different set of yeah. just mainly racism and football is probably the main topic he would cover. It's funny. Now it's kind of like, well, let's. Jello could revisit topics now and have like completely different takes on them, which is funny. Not And not even like so different, too, that it's like you know, a different thing entirely. But yeah, not like he would even be reversing his, his political views. Yeah. He would just be referring to whatever is just being be modifying just, them. The topic yeah. is currently um, before we get too far away. Um, my guess is I think I enjoyed this more than you revisiting it. Yeah. I don't know that it ever really like kicks out of that novelty. 
Lane. I think the covers may be the thing. There's four original tracks on the record and a lot of covers and then two like reworked songs. Um, The covers, though, make sense for the type of covers. Like some of them are the like the novelty country songs like Atomic Power and uh, what's the other one? Atomic Power is a great song and they do a good version of it. It's it's definitely one of the standouts on this record. And Plastic Jesus, like those would be like the kind of novelty older songs. But then they take these like uh, protest songs, like um, "Where Are We Going to Work When the Trees Are Done," "Trees Are Gone," which is a Daryl Cherney cover, and he was an environmental activist slash musician who's like run for office multiple times. And then the Phil Ox cover of "Love Me, I'm a Liberal," which that was like a '60s song talking about liberals. <laughs> In the 60s, and a lot of that still held up. Billy Bragg played that song, too, at one point, and talked about it, and was like, yeah, the references are a little dated, but the overall intent of the song is still very accurate. And, like, yeah, Love Me, I'm I'm a Liberal feels like they wrote it almost, but no, it goes back to the the 60s, I think. Um, What about the reworked songs? Yeah. um, They're interesting. Uh, It's funny that Hamlet Chicken Plant Disaster... Um, which is to the tune of Nebraska um, mm-hmm. by Bruce Springsteen. Did you catch that while you're listening? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, which that song itself is kind of a reworking of the tune of Will the Circle Be Unbroken anyway. <laughs> uh, it's almost the same exact melody, but there's there's little differences. Um, the, Nebraska being significantly the biggest difference being that it's a minor key song, but... Yeah, it's it's an interesting song because Mojo Nixon. It's a Mo, Hamlet Chicken uh, Plant Disaster is pretty much a Mojo Nixon song. Mm. He sings sings it, wrote it. It's interesting because he's talking about a real thing that happened. There was a plant fire um, in Hamlet, North Carolina. So it's kind of in the vein of some of the protest songs that are on here. I wish that it had been an original tune, though, because I don't think that Nebraska was like enough of a standard to riff on and and rework. And I feel like as far as if if you're doing a kind of minor key corrupted version of Will the Circle Be Unbroken, the song Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen is about John Starkweather. So it's already like a, a dark version of Will the Circle Be Unbroken, kind of. Um, so it's weird to then rework that into a protest song, not even necessarily a protest song, but just kind of like, a talking about a forgotten piece of history, um, that people should have protested or people did protest, but you know, yeah, the Hamlet chicken plant disaster. I didn't know anything about that. And I went and read what it was about and I was like, this happened in 1991, Oh, okay. So that was that was more recent. I thought it was from. I thought it was in the eighties. No, yeah, it was like within three years of the song, <laughs> you know, being released. And I, I knew nothing about that. Did you know anything about it? And no. we're from the state, and we don't know anything about it. It's very weird. Um, yeah, that that incident resulted in a lot of new safety laws. Mm-hmm. Um, in North Carolina, increased personnel for the state inspectors and new even new whistleblower protections because that was an, that was a, that was a, I think a preventable incident. 
Yeah, because like fire exits were locked, were blocked, and yeah. doors were locked, and like yeah, yeah, people could more people could have made it out. Right, and they said most everyone who died died from smoke inhalation. So yeah, they yeah the like blocking exits, fire exits, I guess became a bigger law in the state after that happened. Um, which you know I work in a warehouse, so I very easily could see how that could happen through like negligence i could imagine like my warehouse very easily somebody just locked up blocked off you know fire exits just because of like the way they move freight around my warehouse i could i could imagine a scenario but luckily my company is you know a major corporation and they're like fully aware of that type of stuff so (laughs) they're not gonna have that big of a problem with that kind of stuff but i get it and also then like that company too was also the imperial food distributors or something like that had had incidents similar in the past before this disaster but yeah like 1991 i was six five or six depending on what month it happened in and it's like i don't know anything about that i mean maybe if i asked my parents about it they would be like oh yeah i remember that they might yeah might it would have been a news story but it wasn't yeah uh, uh, the legacy of that um that fire it's really not talked about hmm. um it's really overlooked i think that like safety standards in the state have been you know increased along federal lines i i bet the reason why it's not really talked about or brought up is because north carolina is very much a red state so uh safety precautions are big government so you know yeah we don't want to talk well, about yeah, that it, stuff you know it's it's pro-union it's um, not a talking point that the yeah. <laughs> the conservative party likes to bring up even though they benefit from it Awarded was probably like the biggest song on the record, the most well-known. It was like released on like a CD single, so like even they were like, "This is the one." Um, it's the one. I mean, if you're gonna do "Will the Circle Be Unbroken" about abortion, like that's the <laughs> single. <laughs> even before you record it, you just like come up with that idea. It's like that's the single. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then uh, just like revisiting the lyrics of this song, I was just like. Hmm very 
still uh, an issue is talked about a lot oh yeah if you're in a state that has a similar texas abortion bans going around uh in their senate uh maybe call your representatives try and get that shit killed some awful stuff is getting passed in these uh redlined states here yep and then uh, let's burn old nashville down there's a reworking of old joe clark yeah i don't know that one um just talking about how nashville has uh been commercialized and ultra mainstreamed it's a fun one it's probably one of the more fun ones on here yeah i mean it's i don't know it's it feels it feels i mean it's so instantly dated i mean because he's talking about garth brooks and lee greenwood and like but it's like he's complaining i don't know like complaining about the vegas showbiz and it's like buck owens played vegas shows in the 60s uh, i don't i don't know man like nashville's always been commercial like it's that uh, that whole like commercialized uh, country music complaint is is always really frustrating in in the country music world because there's great stuff from most periods of nashville i can't speak to the current period of nashville but i mean by like yeah but like the he's talking you know he's talking about early 90s country music being too commercial and it's like that's probably the last good commercial period of country music. <laughs> <laughs> so it's weird to like have this song from, which, you know, I mean, it's an attitude that has been a part of country music for a long time. And there's always been that pushback and that like demand for authenticity. But I feel like that demand for authenticity very often produces a really hokey, like pretend authenticity that, gets absorbed into the mainstream inevitably anyway. I don't know. I don't I don't think that you can have country music without a without appreciating how much of it is basically pop. I mean when you consider how country music has been produced for pretty much its entire existence, it's very heavily dependent on studio musicians, which this record is <laughs> also full of studio musicians and is made the way that most country music records have been made. So. Though a lot of them are his regular band, though. Like the Toad Lickers. Like, there's a regular... His regular band members, so... Yeah, but, yeah. there, There's there's still session musicians on here, though, and, like, four people are credited with producing it, and... Right? No. Two names I've never, of not real people. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Which I think is just Jello and Mojo. <laughs> I did have a thought, though, listening to this record. Um, is there still... Well, there's always been some political country music, but, like, is there any, like, hard-left political country music anymore? Like, the only things I could think of would be, like, if you go into the alt-country with, like, Drive-By Truckers or, like, maybe some Jason Isbell, but I don't think his stuff is as political as Drive-By Truckers is. I mean, I think Jason Isbell has been outspokenly... Um liberal i think that most of the that world that tier of americana like they're all pretty outspokenly liberal i mean garth brooks is a liberal is he (laughs) yeah he's a democrat he's yeah he's been oh he's a liberal capital capital l liberal yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. he's a nashville liberal for sure but you know a lot a lot of big country music People are more liberal than their audience. That's not to say that there aren't very outspoken, very conservative people, but even like even 
a lot of people that maybe lean more conservative themselves are like not outspokenly political because they want to be entertainers who can appeal to a broad audience. Is there anybody like this type of lyrical? Like very explicitly? <laughs> not a lot. Uh, if anyone, it's very low level. Yeah. Um, I I can't think of anyone who's doing like which it would make sense to do, but I don't see anyone who's doing any like pro union, like uh, Bernie style yeah. <laughs> leftist uh, <laughs> uh, country songs, which someone should be doing that. Like there's absolutely a market for that, but yeah. I, listening to this record though, it, it did make me want something else in that this vein, this type of lyrical content, this political environmental, I mean, I guess you got Neil Young still doing his thing, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm thinking more, I feel like any time that I have heard anything that's like political or socially or environmentally conscious, it's all written in a way that's artistical or more poetry, you know, more hidden in their like wordplay. Like I want like, oh yeah, there's no, there's nobody, there's no Johnny Paychecks out there standing <laughs> on picket lines and saying, <laughs> take this job and shove it. No, yeah, nobody I can think of. Like I, I know there's, there's, Yeah very left-leaning country and folk musicians but yeah i guess just the way they write their songs like drive-by truckers are probably the most like that i can think of and a lot of that talks about like inter-family kind of like more relationships and your neighbors and stuff like that yeah it's very interesting there's not who who's doing that i mean but honestly in punk music uh it's what hardcore bands are doing that that's it i mean i know there are other political punk bands still but like i don't know it doesn't seem like uh you know that whole thing where everybody was like, well, when Trump got elected, that people were like, well, his punk music's going to get good again. And then, like, we never really had that, except for maybe in hardcore. But even then, I don't know. Yeah, there, there, yeah, there was like, did we get a Jello record in the in that period of time? I think we did. Uh, in 2020, he released yeah. a record. Uh, and then 2013 was the one before that. So, no records except for the election year and that record was called tea party revenge porn <laughs> so he was attacking the tea party in 2020 a thing that wasn't a thing <laughs> um yeah i don't know I, just listening to this i was just like i want something real political i want something that's like i don't know i want it and nobody's doing it <laughs> or nobody well known is doing it musically what do you think does this, does this record work jello sounds jello-y as ever He's wobbly and jello, <laughs> jello sounding. <laughs> he sounds like um, his name. Um, he doesn't, but I, it works with the music surprisingly well. Uh, I mean, it kind of helps that he's paired with someone who also has a voice. <laughs> like, the Mojo Nixon voice is not like a pleasant singing voice. He's, <laughs> he's doing a jello Biafra. Just not a Jello Biafra, you know what I mean? Yeah, two very character voices. The music is well played. Um, his band is really good. Um, the session session musicians on here are pretty good. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think there might there's songs on here that I might pick out that would be something I would revisit. But overall, I don't know if the record holds up for me. Uh, yeah, I think it works. I think, uh, yeah, the combination of Mojo Nixon's voice with uh, Jello's voice makes it... Mojo has a little bit of that novelty feel in his own right. 
but also like this the type of music he played like there's a lot of musicians like that like your your unknown hinsons and your like southern culture on the skids and i'm naming all north carolina musicians apparently um why do we have so many <laughs> of those jokey <laughs> rockabilly country artists um because they were doing a thing yeah but why north carolina have so many of them because it's chapel hill durham it's yeah it's i don't know where henson comes from but smart who cares about him he, yeah <laughs> he, he revealed can... his racism so um and like even reverend horton Heat's not like jokey voicey get vo- voice guy you know his stands on its own a little better yeah i don't know but i was gonna say though if listening to this i was like why didn't jello do more of this like i feel like he could have done another record in these in this style maybe not with mojo but with like a somebody else and it could have worked too i don't know i like him in this lane i don't care about his melvins or no or um doa record you know i don't really care about lard because i just don't really care about industrial um and bedtime or the guantanamo school of medicine a little bit i heard about from them i didn't really enjoy either i don't know his hmm i feel like he could do something else like this and it would work really well but i don't know i don't know who he would do it with now though i guess that's the problem because mojo retired from music he just does the radio stuff now yeah yeah ultimately the record's probably too long and features too many covers and that probably hinders it a little bit but i enjoyed listening to it which i don't necessarily think you did <laughs> well uh, any final thoughts on this album any reference no. the prairie home companion reference in the uh, title there yeah unfortunate yeah uh, yeah the wikipedia says it's a it's a play on prairie home companion and ice t's album home invasion yeah <laughs> I was like, uh, and it also says citation needed so well i could see the first part not <laughs> i mean maybe home invasion was on their mind but that's an idea ice t and Bella biafra uh body count <laughs> collaboration too bad body body counts released albums and recently and they're not good no <laughs> Um, I don't know if there might be like a sample of an Ice T song on something. I mean, they both had the Tipper Gore run-ins. Yeah, but Jello has talked about Ice T referenced him multiple times, so it might have been an actual reference to. Yeah, I mean, if they've had the Tipper Gore run-ins, then maybe it is a specific reference to that. Oh, Ice T sampled. No, Ice T sampled Jello Biafra. A uh, message from our sponsor from Jello's first uh, spoken word is sampled by Ice T for the opening of uh, his album, The Iceberg oh. Freedom of Speech. So maybe there is a little bit of. Maybe there was a specific reference to. Yeah. An Ice T record. Huh. I mean, that Ice T record came out in 93, and this album came out in 94. So maybe it is actually there. Huh. That's funny. Yeah. Prairie Home Companion reference there. <sighs> You know, they tried to continue that show without him, and then it got canceled in 2020. <laughs> they even changed the name of it. Uh, didn't work. Yeah, it was what? the Who took over as the host? Wasn't it like the Nickel Creek guy or something? Um, I don't know. I don't know who it was. I think it became much more focused on the music. Tim Russell? Fred Newman? Hmm, maybe not. Yeah, don't know. <laughs> it's okay. It wasn't a good show to begin with. Uh, really, right. it didn't need to be on... 
the radio for 40 years Riders in the sky was better <laughs> yeah all right well uh thank you dave so much for picking this record for us to talk about uh interesting yeah i mean i had fun thinking about it and there's moments that i enjoy i don't think it was like oh i hated it i do feel that my gamble of splitting it <laughs> yeah two days yeah, was because I was like leaving how I didn't finish it on my way to work. And then I was leaving work and I'm like, I don't want to listen to this at 11 o'clock at night. I'll finish <laughs> it tomorrow morning. And I should have just finished it. Well, I think, night. yeah, uh, I think splitting it <laughs> in general wasn't a great idea. <laughs> uh, I listened to it in one sitting and that's maybe that's why I, your results may vary depending on how you take, you know, take it. It's, it's just long. It's funny because the Wikipedia says it's 62 minutes long, but the uh, Spotify says it's 54 minutes long. And it's not missing anything. It's all of the tracks are there. So I don't know why somebody just added up their numbers wrong or something. I wonder if there was oh, a maybe there's a hidden track. Originally? Yeah. That isn't on that Spotify. Would make sense. But that, I think that'll do it. Oh, um, he was Dave did ask me uh, which version of Jello we liked better. Which version of Dead Kennedy's Jello? I guess or maybe just Dead even between the two records. Um, yeah, Dead Kennedy's I think so. Jello. Though I think I definitely line up with him more now than I did when I was younger, which I think I discovered that last week during the Dead Kennedy's episode. But yeah, I, I'm i kind of wanting to see what he's been saying recently just to hear what, what he's on or if he's just still the same old Jello. My guess is he's still the same person and still his arguments are probably consistent. I mean... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the kinds of things that he was saying in the 80s and 90s, like, I don't, I think I have had a a false impression of him that he had kind of devolved into a generically liberal talking head Bill Maher type. Mm, Wow, I don't know where you would have got that. (laughs) Because I don't think that at all. I don't know. I mean, not that far, but, and not nearly as (laughs) offensive, but. I don't know. It, it makes me want to dig in a little more and see what a... it. Maybe just more toothless. Yeah, nah, I, I bet he's still just as, <laughs> just as hard. Uh, we'll see. Ooh, I'll check him out and see what he's talking about now. Maybe listen to that latest Guantanamo School of Medicine record. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening to this episode, and uh, thanks Dave for sponsoring it. And uh, we'll continue our sponsored episodes going forward the rest of the month. And uh, we'll see you later. It looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on, there's always room for jello.